0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And today we're discussing the future of ad tracking. The advertising industry is changing pretty dramatically right now. And in fact, I would say that it's set to change more in 2021 this year than it has in the past few decades since Netscape first introduced browser cookies in 1994. Because for the last few decades, the internet has run on cookies. And not only in regards to advertising, but with the fundamental way that people interact with websites. So now, with the growing online privacy movement, with stringent regulations from the EU, with antitrust cases building in the US, and with a competitive landscape that's finally heating up, that is all about to change. So in today's episode, I want to provide an overview of what changes are actually likely to happen with ad tracking, what impact that's likely to have on businesses, internet users, and the big tech companies, and how that will affect and create the next version of the internet, Web 3.0. First, let's imagine what the internet would be like without cookies. So this is Web 1.0 before Netscape introduced browser cookies. What is your experience on websites like? Well, first of all, without cookies, you wouldn't be able to automatically log in to any site that you're a subscriber of. So if I see a New York Times article that I like and I click on it and I'm already a subscriber, normally with Web 2.0, you can immediately start reading the article because New York Times recognizes that I'm a subscriber and I'm logged in automatically and it's a very seamless experience. But if you don't have that information, you don't have cookies, then every single time you go to any site, you would have to log in totally new. And if you have certain preferences on that site, like you like your dashboard to look a certain way, you wouldn't be able to do that without cookies. And I guess I should say a little bit about what a cookie actually is. Everyone listening is probably familiar with a pop-up that says, accept cookies, and then you click the button and you probably never think about it again. Well, what you're agreeing to when you click that button is for the website to, I like to think of it as attaching a little piece of toilet paper to your virtual shoe. And as you walk across the internet to other websites, it can track all the places you go from there. So a cookie is a way for websites to track people as they leave the website and go to other websites. And by looking at that data, you can come up with some really interesting insights. So for instance, if I see one person that reads an article in Men's Health, and then they're buying some Carhartt jacket, and then they're shopping for a new Ford pickup truck, you have a pretty good sense of what type of person you're dealing with, and therefore, you might be able to advertise Levi jeans to that person and have a really good conversion rate because you know something about where they've been and what they're looking for on the internet. And of course, you could advertise without cookies, but it would be more of a shotgun approach. So you might be serving diaper ads to a 12 year old or a 90 year old, which would be a total waste of money from an advertiser perspective. So I would say the benefit of cookies is that it gives you relevant ads. And if you're going to have to see ads, they might as well be relevant. The real danger of cookies is that you're stringing together all of this third party data. And if you have a nefarious actor who accesses that cookie data and can see all your browsing history, they could potentially use that information to find out your identity. If they're able to guess one of your passwords, they can see what other websites you've been on. Like, oh, this person has been on Wells Fargo and I already know their password to their Gmail. So I'm going to try that same password in Wells Fargo and therefore I could steal money from them. I could. Uh, take out a loan in their name. I could do all of these nefarious things with that data. So recently there's been this major push to do away with third party data and instead rely on more of a privacy focused solution where you only allow users to give data directly to Google, directly to Apple, directly to these trusted entities and not allowing those entities to share data with third parties or gather data from third parties without that being specifically allowed by the user. Now, once cookies had been introduced, it created this dynamic where there were all of a sudden major winners who aggregated all of this data and became really powerful. Think of Google and Facebook and then all of these smaller players that didn't benefit as much as Facebook or Google, but nevertheless were able to access the data that Facebook and Google had aggregated and therefore could serve effective ads and drive revenue for their business. So one way you might think about the change from web 1.0 to web 2.0 is web 1.0 was really an idealized version of the internet that didn't require any central entities to confirm anyone's identity and instead it was all based on open protocols. So email is an open protocol. Same thing with RSS feeds for podcasts. These are all open protocols that came out of Web 1.0. And it's really this open internet landscape where everyone has little pockets of information, but there wasn't any major player that had all the information. Whereas with Web 2.0, Google and Facebook and all of these big aggregators of data became very powerful. And it also ended up helping some small businesses because they could then access these troves of data that Facebook and Google had, which would be really hard for them to gather on their own. But there is starting to be some pressure to go to a more open form of the internet that doesn't have all this tracking and does away with third-party data aggregation and returns to more of the spirit of Web 1.0, which people are now calling Web 3.0. Now let's get into how each of these big tech players is responding to the movement towards online privacy. Let's start with Apple. So Apple has always been very focused on privacy. Famously, they refused to unlock an iPhone that the FBI wanted to unlock for a criminal investigation. Apple's browser Safari has always been more privacy focused than Chrome. So Apple has positioned itself as the one big tech company that you can really trust that doesn't share data with third parties. And the exception to that is that Apple and Apple apps have always shared data with the Facebooks of the world, the Googles of the world. This was just a matter of course that if you converted on an iPhone after clicking an ad in Facebook, Facebook would be able to know that you converted. And this is how the ad industry runs. But starting with iOS 14.5, which is the very next version, I'm on 14.4 right now. Whenever you go to an app like Facebook, a little pop-up will appear that says, do you want to allow this to continue tracking across other websites and apps? Some variation of that messaging. And this is a major change. And a lot of advertisers are talking about this. A lot of small businesses are talking about this. And the reason it's such a big change is because once this opt-in change occurs with iOS 14, you could have something like 20% or 50% or more of iPhone users opting out of being tracked. And this would make Facebook ads and Google ads far less effective because if you don't know which campaigns are leading to conversions, then you wouldn't be able to make a smart decision about what campaign you should launch next which types of audiences you might wanna try targeting. So everyone in the ad industry world has been trying to adapt and prepare for these changes, which are gonna occur any week now. Now that we've talked about how Apple is responding to this online privacy movement, namely by leading the charge and making ad tracking an opt-in rather than by default, let's talk about how Facebook is responding to Apple's iOS 14 announcement. Well, I'll summarize it with a quote from Mark Zuckerberg where he said, quote, Apple has every incentive to use their dominant platform position to interfere with how our apps and other apps work. So Zuck is essentially getting at the notion that while Apple might be pretending that the real reason they're making these changes are for privacy and for what's in the user's best interest, it may be more of a walled garden strategy where they want users to stay within Apple's ecosystem And therefore they don't have an incentive for letting people track what happens inside their ecosystem. Apple already offers Apple search ads where you can advertise directly on the Apple app store. So if you can only get to iPhone users and effectively measure conversions by going directly to Apple, people may do that and they may not go through Facebook. Now, I would say that there's another reason why Apple's move may be misguided, and that's that Apple gets a lot of its revenue from their 30% fee from Apple App Store purchases. And a lot of those purchases are driven by Facebook ads. So there is a symbiotic relationship between Apple and Facebook that is now being disrupted. And Facebook has long wanted to have its own hardware platform so they can make the rules of what tracking is allowed. That's why Facebook has invested in the Oculus. That's why they've invested in the Facebook portal. That's why they're finally getting into hardware so they can control the platform and they're not just a software application on top of other people's hardware, on top of Android phones, on top of iPhones. And the final point that Facebook makes is that this iOS 14 change may hurt small businesses. So I think that is a valid argument to make because a lot of small businesses do depend on ads. However, I think Apple also has a good point where it's not like they're disallowing all tracking, they're just making it opt in so users get to decide. And ultimately I think that's a great strategy for Apple because they're not the big bad wolf. They're just letting users decide. They're putting power in the hands of users. Now let's talk about how Google is responding to the online privacy movement. Well, I think Paul Graham's tweet is the best take I've heard on this. And Google recently announced that they will stop selling ads based on your specific web browsing history. And Paul Graham's response to that article was, what this tells me is that Google has found a way to target ads just as effectively without using this data. So I think that is very true. Google is not the sort of company that would give a subpar experience just to kowtow to regulators. What this tells me, as well as Paul Graham, is that Google has a way to effectively serve ads without browser data. Well, how could that be? I think a good proxy is GPT-3, which from OpenAI is a subsidiary of Google's Alphabet company. And GPT-3 is able to predict what text you would wanna type next, just based on a few words. So in a similar sort of way, you could have searches that are very intelligently directed without knowing which websites people have been to. And one of the ways Google has done this in the past is through RankBrain, where it's not just about backlinks and which websites are connected to other websites. It's about what people do after they search. So if I type something into Google and then I click on one of the links and then I don't return to Google until like tomorrow or a week from now, well, I probably found what I was looking for. So Google can rate that as a successful search and I found my destination. Whereas if I go to Google, I search something, I click on a link and then I immediately am back at Google, well, I probably didn't find what I was looking for on that link. And when you get into the incentives of human beings and what humans are really looking for and what they want based on what their searches are and based on other information Google has like through Gmail and G Suite and Android information. They may know your age, your gender, your location. They have all of this first-party data that's really valuable, even if they don't have all the third-party data. It also reminds me of the recent MyHeritage app, which can take a single photo, even of someone who's been dead for hundreds of years, and create a full animation just using that one photo. So it used to be the case that you would need to feed all of these various images of a cat before you could get any sort of working model of how a cat might move around. But now all you need is one image. So I think Google is moving in a similar direction where just based on what someone types into search, you can be pretty damn sure what they're looking for and what the best results are. And that's why autofill is so good. When you type something into Google and it autofills, more often than not, they knew what you were looking for, at least within the top 10 autofill options. So the next question you might ask is, well, does this help Google or does it hurt Google to not include third-party browser data? Well, many people have argued that it actually helps Google and puts them in a far stronger position because they have more first-party data than almost anyone. They don't really need the third-party data of what websites you've been to in the past. They have all the information from Android, from Gmail, from uh, Google search. They have all of this aggregate information to really understand what they call cohorts, what different types of people are likely to do in different situations. So they don't really need the individual level of information of what this specific person has done on this website on this day. Whereas other search engines, other tech companies, other web platforms don't have that same trove of first party data. So it may be harder for them to compete in the future with Google after this change has been made. And aside from Facebook and Google and Apple, there are other ad platforms that are also becoming more competitive. So Pinterest is a great platform that I use all the time for my clients. Snapchat and TikTok are becoming really prominent Twitter has always been awful for ads, but it's starting to get a little bit better. So there is real competition among ad platforms now, whereas in the last few decades, it's pretty much just been Facebook and Google have had total dominance. So each of these platforms will need to adjust to the privacy changes, to iOS 14 changes, and they'll need to either create an API integration or use their own trove of first-party data. But I actually think it's very healthy that the landscape is heating up. And the other exciting area that's been heating up is among the browser wars. So most people right now use Google Chrome. That's 66% of the market for browsers. Safari is the next biggest at 10%. And that's mostly because that's the default browser on Apple devices. And it's also more privacy focused. Firefox is third. They have sort of an independent appeal. They're also more privacy focused, but they have similar functionality to Chrome. And then there are smaller players like Microsoft Edge, that's Microsoft's browser. There's Opera, which is like a light version of Chrome that uses less energy. Internet Explorer, which a lot of people like to make fun of as being super slow and outdated. And then there's a new entrant called Brave, which I think is really interesting. And it touts itself as being three times faster than Chrome. It stops online surveillance and it uses 35% less battery than Chrome, mostly because it blocks all ads from loading. So if you're blocking every ad from loading, especially video ads that tend to have pretty big file size, that can really speed up your internet. So I haven't tried Brave, but I've been interested in switching from Chrome to Brave. And regardless, I think it's great that this landscape is heating up and we're gonna see a lot of changes in the browser space, just like we see changes in the social media space and the advertising space. Now let's get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst-case scenario. Worst scenario. The worst-case scenario is that we either go too extreme on the privacy side, where we do away with all of this information and the regulations are so onerousum that it really hurts small businesses and there's not enough time for people to really transition to the next system, or it doesn't do enough in terms of privacy and more data is shared between third parties that data gets misused people's identities are stolen so i think we do need to find a middle ground of privacy where we're not crushing the revenue of all of these businesses but we're also preserving privacy and allowing people to decide how their data is being used the biggest risk in my opinion is that the internet no longer is open that we move towards an authoritarian version of the internet where information is controlled, similar to in China with the great Chinese firewall. And the reason I think this is such a big danger is because when the internet is open, everyone can decide for themselves what's BS, what's the truth. But as soon as you start to decide what information is allowed, what information is true, what information is not, what information is dangerous, what information people can consume, what they can't consume, then you start limiting the ability for people to come to their own conclusions. And it's not like we've always known what is true. Even with the early days of COVID, they had misinformation from the WHO and the CDC about whether or not masks were effective against COVID. So it's not always clear what is true. And I feel very confident that so long as the internet remains open and there is some level of net neutrality, we will emerge as wiser internet users and create a better society over time. But if the quote nanny state becomes too cumbersome and starts to really crack down on what information is allowed, I'm a little bit terrified that that would... Create really bad effects down the line as we become removed from reality in a similar way to how China is removed from reality, and even more extreme, how North Korea is removed from reality and just simply cannot access so much of the inter- of the information that's available online. Now let's get into the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario in my mind is a return to the idealized web 1.0 environment, but with the most up-to-date technology that we have with web 3.0. So what would that mean? It would mean adding another layer underneath the internet where people can decide for themselves what data they wanna share about themselves. So imagine if everyone has their own website, like I could have Matamore.eth or whatever it ends up being as the blockchain protocol for this decentralized web. And then I can decide what information I'm willing to share. Maybe I'm willing to share my email, my gender, my age, my occupation, but nothing else beyond that. Maybe my state, but not my exact address. And then if I can actually choose who I wanna share that data with and I can see how it's being shared. So essentially taking all the control that is in Google and Facebook and giving it to users so they can decide, that would be the best system. And I think we are going there. We will go to a more fully decentralized internet. And I think the other thing in the best case scenario is that we allow competition and the free market dynamics to decide the outcome. People already want privacy. It's growing in importance for people. So if there's a choice between one browser that does not secure your privacy and another browser that does, people are more likely to choose the browser that preserves your security. So there is a role to play for antitrust. It's not a good thing if Google and Facebook can just gobble up all the new platforms like Brave and DuckDuckGo. We do need to have some level of antitrust so that we can preserve the competitive landscape and let people make their own decisions. Now let's discuss the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. The most likely scenario is that these changes will have a big impact. They are coming soon. I'm on version 14.4 of my iPhone and version 14.5 is the very next one. So it's hard to fully anticipate what will happen until the changes are put in place. But I feel confident that the ad industry isn't going away. Small businesses will still be able to generate revenue and people will have more control over their privacy. I think ultimately it's inevitable that we will create a decentralized version of the web. It's just a matter of what course we take in getting there and how direct of a course it is versus a roundabout course. And I think there's an interesting dynamic where the more oppressive the internet is and the bigger these companies like Facebook and Google become, the more incentive there is to go to a decentralized web. So I think that's part of what Google and Facebook's calculus is right now and Apple, is that if they don't get ahead of this and they don't try to make some privacy changes before the people demand it and go elsewhere, then they might lose their market dominance. And I think that's what's driving a lot of these changes. And it's a good thing, the more people change their expectations about what is okay and what is not okay in regards to privacy and ad tracking, the more it pressures companies to change and evolve and for the internet to become a better place tomorrow or next year than it was today or last year. So here's to the open internet and I'll see you next week.